Hello and welcome to the Rising Ecosystems podcast from FTI Intelligence, where we explore the opportunities and challenges facing entrepreneurs in cities around the world. For those who are new to the show, I'm your host, Alex Owen Hunt, and we have already covered the startup scenes of several UK cities and most recently, Austria's capital, Vienna. In the last episode, I spoke to Lucas Enzerdorfer Conrad, the chief product officer at Bitpanda, which is a crypto trading platform that in March became the first ever Austrian startup to be valued at above $1 billion. If you haven't checked that episode out, it's well worth a listen. And if you enjoy that or others in the series, please leave us a rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. But without further ado, in this episode, we take a look at the startup ecosystem of another European capital, Berlin. While the city is known for its tumultuous history, rich cultural offering and popularity amongst tourists, Berlin has also become one of Europe's leading hubs for technology and entrepreneurship. To give you a headline figure, According to Atomico's 2020 State of European Tech report, a whopping $12.6 billion of investment has been poured into Berlin startups since 2016. That ranks Germany's capital amongst the top four in Europe. But beyond these funding figures, we're also keen to find out from an entrepreneur on the ground what really makes Berlin the tech hub it is today and what also could be improved to make the ecosystem even stronger. A few weeks ago, I spoke with Tao Tao the co-founder and chief operating officer of Berlin headquarters Get Your Guide, which is an online platform for booking tours, attractions, and activities worldwide. Having co-founded Get Your Guide in 2009 while attending the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Tao has since led the company's operations, overseeing functions including business development, supply, and customer service. Under Tao's leadership, over 45 million tickets have been booked through Get Your Guide, and the company has raised over 880 million in funding. Here is my interesting conversation with Tao about Get Your Guide's journey and Berlin's startup ecosystem. Tao, welcome to the Rising Ecosystems podcast. Well, Alex, uh, great to be with you today. So I'd like to start by addressing the situation in travel and tourism. And of course, Get Your Guide is a platform that enables experiences of all kinds uh, when when on touristic uh, adventures. And we actually recently published a report with the United Nations World Tourism Organization. Recommend all listeners to check it out if you haven't if you haven't seen that yet. And just to pick out one stat, international arrivals dropped by 73% in 2020 from the previous year. So pretty stark fall in tourism. I wonder at you as a platform sort of facilitating a lot of the things that tourism tourists get up to, how you fared over the last year? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a fantastic time to be alive and uh, even better time to be in tourism uh, for sure. So we we were lucky that we went into the crisis quite well funded. So um, at the beginning of 2020, we just closed um, a larger funding round uh, with the likes of uh, Temasek and SoftBank and a few others. And so so we were quite well funded, um, which is uh, which was a, a fantastic thing because we all knew that even though the pandemic was quite severe in its impact, that um, it, it wouldn't be a structural shift in terms of how people travel. So. Um, I think we all know after a year of day trading and Netflix binging that uh, nothing replaces quite the real thing. And so um, we were lucky in that regard. Uh, We also had very strong support from our shareholder base, uh, employee base. Um, So lots of our employees um, took a a voluntary pay cut, um, which was incredible. Um, A lot of our partners, so both in terms of vendors that we buy tools from as well as our local partners. So I think overall was a strong community effort to go through the crisis. Um, 
And now that was fortunately, I would say probably the situation from April, 2020 to about February, 2021. And what we're seeing now is that entire pent up demand really coming uh, into the limelight and, and, and folks really wanting to travel. I think, you know, there've been stats of how much household saving, especially in the uh, slightly above average household incomes have been, have been saved. And, um, you know, that money, money has to go somewhere. So there's only so much quick commerce that you can do on a daily basis. People want to travel. They want to see the real world. They want to eat good food and, um, and, and just go out there. I, I think there was an interesting survey by one of the uh, US news publications last year asking, you know, if you could choose between traveling this year and finding your life partner, I think more than the majority said <laughs> traveling because you can always find your life partner next year. And, and I think that speaks volumes to um, the, the severity of the crisis, but also the, the strength of the recovery that we're just starting to see right now. Well, that's fantastic here. I'm certainly getting itchy feet and very keen to get back out on the road. So, you know, usually we'd be going to conferences and meeting people and you know, maybe meeting you in Berlin at some point, Tal. But uh, to dig a bit deeper into that, um, certainly a trend that played out in our tourism report was sort of growing demand for domestic uh, tourism. Is, is, is that one of the major trends you've seen? Um, that pent up demand is really for experiences at home or is it a slightly different picture? Absolutely. The way we look at it is there are three uh, major segments, so international transatlantic travel. So uh, uh, British travelers going to the, to the US, Americans coming to Italy, Italians going to Asia. That is still basically zero um, because of travel regulations and just regulatory uh, restrictions. Then you have the interregional part, which is actually usually the biggest spending portion of travel. So Brits going to uh, Mallorca, uh, Spanish folks coming to, to Paris, um, that is huge. Now that we're seeing still quite depressed. So that is probably still below the 50% mark. Uh, and then you have the domestic portion, which um, the, the challenge with domestic, especially in tourism, is that because it is your home country, the type of travel you tend to do is more on the uh, relaxation and nature side of things rather than consuming services or, or hospitality products. And so what we're seeing is there's definitely a huge trend towards the outdoors, a huge trend to discovering what we call the backyard. Um, and regional travel is just starting now. Um, I think with the EU um, digital uh, vaccination passport, that's a, that's a really, really positive step. Um, the fact that vaccinations has hit 50% in quite a few countries already uh, is a huge boost. And, and, and frankly, we are still taking bets internally whether we will surpass the trend line 2019 on a weekly run rate at some point this year. So um, the, the jury is still out, but overall we're seeing a pretty strong recovery in the regional travel um, on top of the very strong domestic rebound that's already been happening last year. Well, that's a fantastic context in which to start our conversation, Tal. So thank you for giving us a bit more detail on the trends you're witnessing at Get Your Guide. But to dig a bit deeper into your story, uh, I know that you were founded in Zurich back in 2009. If, uh, yep, if I've got correct. the year correctly, I know when you're find founding a company, sometimes it can be a year or two out. Um, but then you also decided to move your headquarters to Berlin in 2018. Now, I've had the pleasure of living in Berlin several years ago uh, and know what a great city it is. But can you speak a little bit about the business decision of, in doing that and why it was sort of the right time to move to Berlin? Yeah, for sure. I think we have to take a little bit of a, a time travel. 2009 was a very different world, especially here in Europe. Um, I know London and, and places like you know SF or New York are quite advanced, maybe at that point already, but 
In 2009, there wasn't much of an ecosystem in continental Europe and even less so in Switzerland. We, I would say back in 2000, um, when we graduated around that time frame, the, the chic thing was to go into investment banking, do consulting, um, compared to today where the number one question that a lot of graduates ask us is, you know, how do you get started in startups? That's, I think, how the world has changed, certainly in, in, in a decade. Now, back in 2009, um, in, especially in Switzerland, where we studied at, at ETH, which is a very much of an engineering natural sciences school, the, the fashionable thing would have been to go into uh, large corporates, uh, medical, pharmaceutical, engineering. And uh, we decided to do this travel company, which, uh, which wasn't very attractive for a lot of folks and um, didn't attract a lot of funding back then. So um, nowadays, I think you can raise pre-launch funding in the millions. Uh, I think we raised something like 100,000 Swiss francs. Um, and, and, and with that, you don't get that very far. And so for us back then, it was very much a, uh, a cost decision initially, because as we started to ramp our operations, um, Johannes, my co-founder and I, we were alternating on our mobile phones with a Skype forward to do the customer service. Now that works until a certain point. The problem is when they start calling you, when you're waiting in line at, at the supermarket and you just say, Oh, we'll just wait a second. Oh, here's 220. Okay. There you go. Okay. So how can I help you? or when, they, when American customers call you at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night. And so our decision was we clearly had to either outsource our customer service, or if we were to do it ourselves, we have to do it in a, a slightly cheaper place. Now, for many reasons, cultural and, and the fact that we wanted to control the customer experience and shape it, we said we want to do it ourselves. And then given that a lot of our customers back then were German uh, initially, we said, well, then clearly there's only really Austria, Germany, uh, maybe some Eastern European countries where you can do it. And then frankly, so the first reason was cost. And the second reason was, you know, probably the reason you lived in Berlin was uh, lifestyle. So I just said, well, I'm not moving to, you know, city X, Y, Z, but I heard Berlin is cool. I lived there as a kid, age six or seven. I heard they have good food, good music, uh, good culture, good nightlife. So let's give Berlin a try. And, and that was really the genesis of uh, me moving uh, back then first part-time uh, building a customer service organization. I mean, sounds grand, was really just a you know, hand, handful of folks. And then over time, we then hired, realized, oh, wow, there's also salespeople we can hire here. There's also marketing folks over here. There's also over time engineering folks. Hey, why don't we just build our HQ here, right? And I'm sure we can dig into that a bit deeper as Brazil transitioned over the last decade. But yeah, basically the initial reasons were cost and lifestyle. That's interesting to hear because lifestyle, presumably you as founders, you want to live in a city that, that you uh, will have a good quality of life. But is part of that also talent attraction? I mean, you've mentioned about the fact that there were lots of people with the you know, required skills for different roles you had to fill. Um, what, what's the, the thinking there with lifestyle? It can't purely just be on, on a personal basis. Um, you know, frankly, back then, we, we didn't think that we would move our HQ from Zurich uh, ever. So we, we, we thought that, hey, you know, also frankly, back then we didn't think much, right? We just did. There's the, the urging pressings of the business and you just go with the flow a little bit. We also were inexperienced first job. There weren't a lot of mentors around in Switzerland for B2C you know, marketplace businesses, right? So we just did whatever felt right. Nowadays, you have a lot more, um, you know, those frameworks around. So I think back then for us was really just cost and lifestyle. I, I think you know, I, I can give you a better story of why we did it and we did a criteria framework and whatnot. No, the reality is we needed, you know, to build up customer service and Berlin felt it like a good place to do it. And 
given that I had to do it, I had a bit of a say of where to do it. Now, I think all the talent attraction, the reason we stayed is different, right? I would say the reason we moved there was cost and lifestyle. The reason we stayed was very much on talent attraction because it was in those 10 years um, since you know we've been here first part-time and then full-time when the city also grew from this you know just cool and hip place, kind of like how SF was maybe 30, 40 years ago to this real ecosystem and tech hub of you know folks who've maybe did a business or two um that were starting to have engineers here starting to have marketing folks here um and and it kind of grew at the same time or how the food scene grew here so i would say for an international you know technology marketing operational talent to come to berlin is a very different picture than it was uh, 12 13 years ago that's really interesting to hear maybe you can walk us through what you see as sort of the the main major developments in Berlin as an ecosystem and a place to start and grow a business? Yeah, so maybe starting from the uh, slightly harder facts, um, you know, there's many theories of how you create a hub um, and I wouldn't want to be the, the authority on that. Uh, my, my take is always, there's only so much you can plan for a hub to, to start. What the, the, the key thing in this chemical reaction is you need one, two or three blowout successes because from that follows a lot of other positive things, right? So you now suddenly have um, you know, talent, you have capital, you have people who've seen this kind of hyper growth or at least very, very fast scaling. Um, very importantly, young employees see that those stock options are real, right? Because you know, one of the attractions that you, you give out in a startup is you, you cannot you know, compete with the, with the multinationals on, on salary, so you have to give folks stock options or virtual stock options. And you know, when we gave them out initially, and we were one of the first companies in Berlin to give everyone stock options. So from our frontline uh, customers, uh, service agents to, to the executives, back then people thought, okay, this is an interesting piece of paper, very cute. Um, only when people to see, oh, there is an IPO, there is a big exit, and there were employees who actually saw real return on those options, it's when it gets real. So I would say certainly the fact that you have had successes led to the fact that more capital uh, drew here. Some of those entrepreneurs turned into investors. A lot of my uh, friends who are entrepreneurs are now running uh, venture capital funds. Um, the fact that you have the talent who moved here, maybe start a family here, so they just you know end up staying here. So really this you know starting uh, that seed of that ecosystem from a few successes. And you cannot plan for success, right? Success either happens or it doesn't. I think that's that's one. The other thing is certainly that Berlin as a city also has uh, grown still quite a bit in the last 12 years. So I would say it has become even more international and, and very important for me, the food has become extremely good. So I would say, um, you know, when I came here 12 years ago, um, I mean, I will say the British cuisine is, is not known for its uh, world fame. German, I would say even less so. Um, but, but nowadays you can find some of the most amazing, you know, Israeli food or Mexican food or Japanese food. And so I think that's spectacular. And what has never left and has always been here is just the incredible uh, cultural um, breadth and depth. Um, the fact that you walk by World War II um, historic monuments um, the fact that you have one of the arguably best symphonic orchestras in the world, uh, probably the most famous uh, club uh, with uh, with Berghain in Berlin. So this is a lot of lot of good reasons to be here if you want to start a, a growth company. Yeah, it's really interesting. You're definitely resonating with me reasons why I moved to Berlin and, and had a fantastic time there. Um, 
you mentioned some of the success stories. Are there some that stand out for you in particular? I know Get Your Guide has grown to, to a significant size now, but are, are there some peers of yours that you think stand out in terms of their impact on the ecosystem and driving it forward? I mean, I think I think one of the certainly one cannot talk about the history of of tech in Berlin without talking about the Sumvers, right? And and as much as one might disagree with their um, agree or disagree with their style of running businesses and, and culture that they created, uh, one cannot disagree with the fact that a lot of successful entrepreneurs were alumni, uh, are alumni of of that uh, of that rocket empire. So I think a lot of folks, you know, learned a lot of especially in the early days. Uh, uh, online marketing and e-commerce skills, right? So um, that's also why you know we, it was easier for us to find uh, marketplace folks, right? Because we also require online marketing and operations. Um, certainly, Zalando um, is is a fantastic company. Public uh, fashion as a role model. Um, I think Deliver Hero. I think all these um, you know kind of public tech companies certainly are role models. Um, I think at the same time you have this different trend of very product and community driven. I think in the early days you had SoundCloud, right? Who set up operations here in Berlin. Um, and nowadays you have everything, right? From logistics uh, to travel to, I mean, all kinds of companies that have now really planted their, their roots here. And so I would say yeah, early days, very much e-commerce driven. Um, and then over time, really, really everything. Um, yeah. And indeed, that's why uh, Berlin is known around the globe now as a, as a leading tech hub. And certainly it ranks very well in the research we do of tech hubs across Europe and the world. Um, lots of positives we've discussed. And clearly, there's a reason why companies are setting up in Berlin. And it's, uh, you know, the ecosystem is, is, is ripe for growing businesses. But there must also be some sticking points, some areas where the ecosystem could improve. Um, what's your take? What, what, what do you see as the main sticking points to starting and growing a business in Berlin? So I think in terms of, you know, if, if I had a magic wand and, and could uh, just just change things, right? Um, there, there's probably two or three. The first one, I would, as good as the universities in Berlin are, and actually my, my, my mother initially came here 35 years ago on a, a PhD uh, in physics in Berlin. So, so it's kind of coming kind of full circle. Now, as good as the universities are in Berlin, um, it certainly is not quite at the standard of a Stanford uh, or an Oxbridge combination um, in, in the in the UK. So, one of the things you know I would love to see is just a much stronger funding of of research. Number one and two, um, creating a better bridge between research and, and and the business world. So, for example, when we were studying at uh, in ETH, so the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich there is a huge function whose entire job was to bring research into business and they called it eth transfer so it's it's they give you building they give you services they give you um it transfer now in our case there wasn't much ip to transfer but you know I, we have a lot of peers back then who developed proprietary technology for example for co2 uh, carbon capture which was developed in in the research of the university and was then transferred into real business um, without crippling the business. So I would love to see much stronger funding into building top-notch uh, research facilities, attracting the best professors and the best graduate students, and then also building a facility by which you can move that research into the real world and, and scale it uh, and drive a lot of value for consumers or uh, business or, or, or institutional. So I think that's one, this entire area of how can we unleash 
the, the education and research community. I think a second factor then is once you kind of follow that life cycle is um, now how do we then um, attract the most brilliant minds to start businesses here? And I think one of them, well, partly they should come from the universities. The other is then how do we attract uh, the next 10, 50 employees? And there I think Germany is while the city is attractive and, and life in Berlin and, and or Munich is very attractive, uh, the stock option regime is not. So the way um, the taxation on your virtual stock options or stock options is certainly less favorable than compared to the US. And the, the fact that is we, we are competing with uh, product, engineering, design, marketing, uh, talent from all over the world. So we're a company, we have about 600 plus employees, 50 plus nationalities. Um, I think the, the Germans, you know, we're in Berlin, I think Germans are barely 10%. So uh, we are really importing uh, and recruiting a lot of talent globally and th they are competing offers. And when they see that stock options are taxed at income tax uh, in, in, in Germany um, or, or you have dry income taxation issues, which we'll have to, uh, let's not expand that, but it's basically less competitive. And we certainly wish that um, if we believe that the future of a nation lies in the, the brilliant minds and attracts that then build value uh, in an industry around it, then we must become more competitive in that aspect. So I would say research education, the framework around um, stock option taxation. And then thirdly, probably, which is a problem everywhere, but I would say very pronounced in Germany, which is the uh, very non-digitized nature of bureaucracy. It is very paper-based, it's very facts-based, um, and again, we don't have to expand on that, but that certainly is is not easy. Sometimes you sit at a notary for two days because they have to read a contract. So I think there's certainly areas to make it more efficient. Again, under the theme of unleashing the potential um, of the brilliant minds that you know we hopefully attract uh, and build here. It's a really good point. I mean, anecdotally, uh, if anyone has tried to apply for registration in Berlin, then they, they will know that the process is quite bureaucratic and paper-based. Um, there's so much I want to pick up on here. I mean, the tech transfer point is a, is a great one and really echoes what has been said earlier in, in this podcast. I wonder, though, with your experience and Get Your Guide and journey, I mean, you've grown at quite a rapid rate. What sort of experiences would you share with with fellow entrepreneurs or or, or prospective entrepreneurs listening to this in, in terms of whether they decide to set up in Berlin or, or elsewhere? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I would welcome anyone who's interested to, you know, come over here, check it out. Um, you know, let's grab a coffee and, and, and you know, I, we, we very much viewed as recruiting. Right. I think that you know, uh, you know, I've I've come to love Germany as a as, as a country to live. I've, I mean, I've been here basically all my life, um, and I want to recruit more great talent. So if anybody's interested, you know, hit me up and we'll, we'll grab coffee and I try to convince you why you should come to Berlin. U ultimately, I, I view it as very similar to um, you know hiring for employees or or finding investors, which is there has to be a um, long term alignment with the vision. So with the type of business you're starting. So if you're selling, if it's a B2B company for UK clients, well, then don't come to Germany. If you are uh, starting a, a pan-European or, or even global uh, B2C business, it's a fantastic place, right? Because um, you have, your constituent space will be around here. You'll find every nationality here. Um, and then think, so one is long-term alignment with the vision. And the other one is culture, right? Is Does the culture of the place resonate? Uh, is the type of employee you're likely to hire, are they already here or are they likely to come here? 
So I would view it very much as a, you know, do you think Berlin can be a great recruiting base um, for the growing needs of your business? Now, I would certainly say so. Now, there will be certain deep tech niche skills that may not be available here. Um, but I would say broad digital competencies are, are here. I think one of the main benefits is um, we are also quite close to Eastern Europe, um, especially when it comes to nearshoring, technical, so adding another workbench. Um, there's a lot of uh, knowledge and also access here as well. Uh, on top, of course, uh, all the companies that are here and have actually attracted um, a lot of talent from abroad that are now just you know switching between different companies and uh, bring that knowledge from one tech company to another tech company. So I would say in terms of talent and the culture, um, you know, I, I would you know just do a quick evaluation if that makes sense. And I think you know, frankly, the the initial reason why I came here is: Do you personally can you envision a life here? And um, you know, some 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 founders always ask me, um, you know, how do I pick an investor? How do I pick a co-founder? I always like to say. If you start a business, uh, in the best case scenario, your company will turn to will turn ten years old. In the worst case scenarios, you go bankrupt earlier. And so, if you think about spending time with a person, an investor, or a place for ten years, you, you better love it, right? This is these are the best years of your life. Does this place give you more energy than it takes? And if it does, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic place uh, to live. Absolutely. And well, the city that never sleeps, you definitely need a lot of energy to keep it going in Berlin. So that's, uh, that's a good point. We've touched on a lot, Talon. I'm conscious I want to keep keep to the time. Um, one thing we haven't touched on is funding. Uh, and maybe that's that's for a reason. Uh, you know, from, from our research and looking at Berlin comparatively to other ecosystems, uh, it seems like the certainly early stage funding is very well covered. You know, they have a founder's bonus. They have the, you have the investment bank Berlin and, and other public sector support for for businesses. Would you agree that there's enough support for early stage startups? And is the same true for um, a company such as Get Your Guide at a later stage in your life cycle? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, and this is maybe more of a philosophical debate, but I, I'm I'm not in the camp of the government should be picking winners. Um, I, I think what government can do is is create the fertile ground upon which uh, global champions can 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 grow and and so if if i had a billion euros to invest i would invest into research education technology transfer uh, and changing the um, uh, stock option tax regime i would say so make berlin the most competitive place um, possible um, in terms of funding i mean a, a great business in berlin will get funded there, there is no great business in Berlin that doesn't get funded. Uh, a, you have a tremendous base of um, uh, German VCs uh, or European VCs that have a Berlin presence. Um, basically, if, if you are a VC of renown and you haven't been to Berlin, then well, then clearly you're not a VC of renown because everybody else is here. And so um, I think every, every VC from all across the world has invested in Berlin companies at some point and have built an ecosystem and have built um, a feeder network. So. I think funding is not the problem. What I would love to see on the funding front is this is less for Berlin tech, but more Germany as a whole. And um, you know, I think listeners, especially when it comes to foreign direct investment, we all know that the RI and invested German capital is probably the worst of any OECD country. So what I would love to see is actually a better return on uh, pension and insurance fund money of German capital so that when companies like ours uh, or, or similar ones go public, 
that is not only you know Irish pension funds that benefit, but also German pension funds. Again, that's a very different debate that looks at a different side of the coin. I think if we're only talking about tech, yeah, I would just come back to research, education, tech transfer, um, stock option taxation, um, and and yeah, not concerned about early stage funding because there are so many business angels who are willing to write checks if they see a bright young talent uh, with a bright future ahead. There you go. You've heard it here first. Now, uh, indulge me. My very last question, Tao, is uh, you recently announced that you would accept Dogecoin uh, mm-hmm. on your platform. And I uh, understand this is part of a US expansion. Can you quickly explain this decision? Is that is that a genuine thought process that Dogecoin is going to be here for years to come? Or is that a bit more of a marketing ploy? So, 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 so we've been quite active in the U.S. for a couple of years already, and I have a have a you know we have offices in San Francisco, New York, now Miami as well. So we've been quite active and serve already uh, millions of American customers. What we wanted to do with Dogecoin is kind of shine a light on this um, dichotomy between the virtual and the real world. Basically, you know, after a year of being in a cage of of your own four walls and literally doing day trading and Netflix binge watching and probably crypto, we think that it's time to give up those things for the real thing. And so we just wanted to help those who have some Dogecoin uh, to uh, go out and explore the real world and, and not uh, hodl a Doge to the moon, uh, but rather, you know, go go see a park, go, um, go bungee jumping, go attend a tea ceremony, um, you know, fly the helicopter through the Grand Canyon, explore the city, learn the history, uh, taste some great food, do a cooking class, learn how to do real pizza, not from a webinar, but you know, from Italian chefs. So that was really the ambition that um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a quirky thing to do, but it's really about this contrast between the virtual world and the real world. And we think that the real world is here to stay. And, um, you know, and we want to encourage people to get on the train while they still can. Tal, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with me and going deep into the Berlin ecosystem. Uh, really appreciate it. Alex, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, what a fantastic conversation with Tal. And it's really interesting to hear more about Get Your Guy's journey, his outlook for tourism, and really what makes Berlin a successful startup hub today. In case listeners want to check out the tourism for report I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'll add a link in the description. And you can find lots of other related content at fdiintelligence.com. Finally, thanks again to Tal and to all those who've made it this far. If you've liked this episode, please leave us a rating and review and make sure to subscribe to be notified about our future episodes. As a quick note, FDI Intelligence has a new podcast series being launched soon, looking into cultural FDI and rising ecosystems will be back in October with more deep dives into startup ecosystems worldwide. But until then, take care and we'll see you next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? 
Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.